Gus Swanson Vogel Law Firm. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're going to do a couple things here with Mr. Swanson, get an update on some mineral rights out in the Bakken, and then we're going to talk a little football, a little bit of uh, uh, college football, as Mr. Swanson is very familiar with the NDSU Bison, the seven-time FCS Championship uh, Bison program. Is that, is that right? Seven times now they've won it? Seven, yeah. That, spot on. I'm looking at uh, some of the championship paraphernalia in my office, and the Bison have won seven of the last eight FCS championships, which is the most FCS championships in the history of the subdivision. And that, that's unreal. And how many of those were consecutive? I thought it was seven consecutive, but seven of the last eight. So there was, what was that? Uh, there was one in there where they didn't get, make it, huh? From, from 2011 to 2015, the Bison won five consecutive titles. Then in 2016, they got all the way to the national semifinals and were beat at home by James Madison, who went on right. to win the championship in 2016. And then the last two years, 27 and 2018 the bison won back-to-back titles again okay all right we'll we'll um circle back to some football talk in just a moment or two because i i love football and i like to talk football and we need to talk a little bit about some minerals and uh, what's happening out in the bakken when it comes to uh lake sakakawea so uh, let's get an update on that if you wouldn't mind sir yeah, absolutely and, and the timing is good Jason, as you know, and as a lot of listeners know, a couple weeks ago, Judge Jacobson granted summary judgment in the Wilkinson's favor, ruling that the state no longer has any basis under the law to continue claiming an interest in these minerals under Lake Sakakawea, specifically the, the Wilkinson's minerals, but there's obviously implications for a lot of other mineral owners. So the judge issued his decision, a judgment has been entered, and the state right now is on the 60-day clock to decide whether or not they want to appeal the district court's decision on that. And in fact, later this week on Thursday, the land board is meeting to determine their next step. So we're, we're very uh, encouraged by the decision. The district court got it right. The state does not have a basis, and we've talked about it many times, and, and your listeners will recall that the state has no basis under the law to claim an interest in any of these minerals, but now that the district court has, has agreed with us, we're hopeful that the state will finally drop their claim to the Wilkinson's minerals so there's some finality and everyone can move on with their lives. Just a brief timeline of bullet points um, there was a Lake Sakakawea reservoir or a dam constructed. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers came in. Um, that's where there, there kind of became a gray area. But from my recollection, back when the land was surveyed, the mineral rights were, I guess, attached to the landowners. Is that correct? So what had happened when the, the United States came in for Garrison Dam and Lake Sakakawea, the, the land was farmed. It was some of the best farmland in that part of North Dakota. The U.S. came in and acquired the surface, and when they acquired the surface from folks like my clients, the, the Wilkinsons, they, they said, you got to do one of two things. You can either sell us the surface, you keep the minerals, 
or we're going to take you to court and get the property condemned and we'll buy your surface anyways. But in those condemnation orders, in the, in the vast majority of them, the minerals were reserved in the private landowners. So even though the, the feds came in and acquired the surface for Sakakawea, the, the vast, vast majority of impacted landowners got to retain their minerals just like my clients did and went on to lease those minerals going back to the 1950s and in some cases before that and had continuously leased them up until approximately 2010 when the state decided that even though they were strangers to title who never had an interest in that property that they were going to claim out of the clear blue sky that they own those minerals. Who's been getting paid on these? <laughs> no, well, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest issues, and kind of why we're, we're all here. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, really I mean that, that's the question yeah. everybody wants to know. Who's getting the money at the end of the day? The money, the money is just sitting there not getting paid. Well, I shouldn't say it's not getting paid to anybody. In the, the Ripley's Believe It or Not category, even though folks like my client have owned these minerals going back to prior to World War II, the state took bonus money from private operators. So whether it was a, a Brigham Oil and Gas and uh, Brigham Oil and Gas in this specific case, where the state put my client's minerals on the land auction, leased them to Brigham, and accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bonus payments from uh, the state did from Brigham. For that, and now you know Brigham was that oil, and, and is now Equinor. But you know the uh, prior iteration of, of Equinor, the money from the actual royalties has been sitting in suspense because uh, when the state and the operators entered these agreements, that the operators, to their credit, said, "Look, state, you've never claimed ownership of this before. We think it's a, a pretty dubious claim to title, but you've put them on the land board auction, so you've kind of put us between a rock." in a hard place, so we're going to lease them with the caveat that if there is a quiet title dispute, which quite obviously there would be many quiet title disputes, the Wilkinson case being first and foremost amongst them, that the state would put any royalties paid into suspense. So if it was determined that the state didn't have a claim to those, the money was there to go to the private owners. So now if the, the next big step in the case, Jason, is if the state land board decides not to appeal it, then it's an issue of getting the royalty money and determining whether or not there's still valid leases in place for these minerals, which is kind of the next bridge to cross. So after the state decides whether or not they're going to appeal, that, that's what will happen next, is that there's a lot of mineral owners out there, a lot of mineral owners, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that have just been sitting there placed in suspense waiting for this litigation to play out. And now that we're in the final stages of that, they're going to have to figure out who gets paid and have to do an accounting because these, these wells have been producing the last decade. It's not like they just press pause and shut the wells off. The wells have been producing and accumulating royalties. Now we got to figure out what those royalties are, the specific dollar amount and get them into the mineral owner's hands. You mentioned the name of the uh, energy company, uh, Brigham. Brigham, yeah. And that's who initially was into the partnership with, uh, like, your clients, the Wilkinsons, and, and the other p 
people and and the energy company could be any energy company because my question is more or less the energy companies have paid the royalties right the state has collected them is that what's going on and the state's just holding where is the money right now i mean because they're i mean you just had hundreds of millions of dollars so i mean is is the state hanging on to it are the energy companies going to have to come back and then pay it in retro or what's going on yep and and those are really really good questions and and here's what we know and, and i should clarify brigham leased from the state because the state claimed they own that my companies actually had a lease with eog so there's you know the private lease that was in place before brigham came and leased it off the the state land website so they they were both involved in the lawsuit but as far as payments go we took we took quite a few depositions in this case and did extensive written discovery and i'm i'm looking in my office at, you know, three really big bookshelves literally filled top to bottom with binders consisting of thousands and thousands of pages. And here's what we know. Some of the monies were paid to the state and put into what they call the SIF fund, S-I-I-F, Strategic Investment and Improvement Fund, where they've just been sitting since all this, uh, the disputes and litigation surrounding the lake mineral ownership came about and and we do know that back when we were doing those depositions and discovery in 2015 that there was north of 150 million dollars in that fund for these minerals that were involved not just my clients but other minerals that the state said well geez we've never owned these but because the feds acquired it for chicago we uh, we somehow own the minerals those monies those wells have been producing since 2015 so i expect the money in the SIF fund to be quite a bit higher. We also know that some of the oil companies have been holding that money in suspense on their own and not paying the state or paying anybody until all of this is resolved. So there are some mineral owners out there whose funds aren't in this SIF fund, but instead they're in suspense with private companies. And there was even an indication when we were doing depositions in this written discovery that there's some sort of escrow account at the Bank of North Dakota that has some of these proceeds in a fund. So there's a couple different piggy banks out there where all these funds are going. But at the end of the day, it's the mineral owners who are going to need to be made whole. And whether that's from the oil companies that have put these funds in suspense, or if they paid the state with the understanding that those funds would sit in this this SIF fund that was created for for this purpose. Uh, One way or another, at the end of the day, these private mineral owners will need to get made whole for it. This is a rather interesting case. By the way, Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, we're talking about the uh, Wilkinson versus Board of University and School Lands case that's been going on for years now. And as you've just kind of heard, it's hundreds of millions of dollars in mineral rights sitting in some sort of energy purgatory waiting to get get distributed and from my understanding this this state has stepped in this is going to sound really odd here um this to me sounds like a a mineral uh interest or mineral rights interest eminent domain it just it seems like the state is just coming in and almost claiming like an eminent domain on mineral rights. Is, have you guys talked about that and from that perspective, or am I just kind of not looking at that right? No, 
no, that's that's one of the claims. In fact, we made in our litigation that it was an unconstitutional taking in violation of the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and Article One, Section Sixteen of the North Dakota Constitution, where if a state takes private property, they're required to provide just compensation. Now, the the caveat, the critical caveat to that is when the state takes private property, it has to be for a public use. They have to, whether that's, you know, a road or flood control, which is how the feds acquired my client's surface, they came in and acquired it through threat of eminent domain because it was authorized by the Pick Sloan Act passed by the United States Congress, which authorized the feds to come in and acquire it for that public use. Now, part of the problem with what the state did here is you're absolutely right, Jason, is they essentially engaged in a massive taking of mineral rights via a similar vehicle like an eminent domain. The problem with that, as we've pointed out in, in our briefing to the court, as I've argued to the district court, is that there is no public use. So even if the state were somehow to say, well, okay, we're going to condemn these minerals via eminent domain, they wouldn't be allowed to do that because government can't just come in and acquire your property because it decides it wants your property. They have to demonstrate that they're putting it to a public use. Getting paid for someone else's mineral rights so you can build up the, the state coffers of the general fund or the, the board of university and school trust fund to build that up, that's not a public use. You don't have to answer this, but as you were talking, I'm thinking of your clients who, I don't know, if they're like everybody else in western North Dakota, the, the mineral rights sure could come in handy, especially after 20 years without mineral rights. And then they got attorney fees on top of it, and these things are just sitting in, in, in you know, nowhere land. How, how are your clients doing? I mean, this, this has got to be putting quite a bit of financial hardship on them. I, like I said, I don't know. They could be the richest people in North Dakota for crying out loud. I'm not sure, but I'm just thinking about all the different ways that their resources are being controlled without their control. They, my, my clients are absolutely wonderful people. They're, they're salt of the earth. They're, they have North Dakota values. Family means everything to them as it does for a lot of us. And to your point, just imagine the stress on anybody where you've got to hire a lawyer to fight the state of North Dakota, where the state has almost unlimited resources. The state's not worried about having to pay a private lawyer to handle this case, which a private person, like any of your listeners, you would have to hire a private attorney and pay them to take on the state, which is a pretty big undertaking to fight uh, an entity like whether it's the, the state government or a federal government, where they're not worried about the number of hours being put into it, right? Private folks don't have that same luxury, and this litigation for them has been ongoing since 2012. So you, you talk about some of the landmark United States Supreme Court cases. I mean, pick pick any U.S. Supreme Court marquee case that comes to mind. Without getting too political, just, you know, uh, Roe v. v. Wade, the Citizens United case, the, the Kello takings case. You, know, you, you could pick a, any big U.S. Supreme Court case, and it doesn't take half that time for it to reach resolution. And here my clients have been put through the ringer where the, the folks uh, 
making the decisions on behalf of the land board in the state of North Dakota have really, um, to be quite frank, abused them. They've abused the process. They put my clients through a living hell where for the last seven to eight years, they've fought, my clients have fought, for property that's been in their family for the last 60 years. So not only are they not getting paid for these minerals that belong to their ancestors, you know, their grandparents and great-grandparents, they're having to pay a private lawyer to fight the state of North Dakota to claim something that's been in their family since prior to World War II. And if that sounds like the damned dumbest thing you've ever heard, is it because it is? It doesn't make a lot of sense, yet the state of North Dakota persists in it, and it's such a tremendous, for me, being their lawyer, you know, I've grown very close with them. Um, I, I love fighting their fight and, and acting on their behalf and, and taking the state to court on this. But what's so frustrating for me is that this should have been over a long time ago. The state should never have done this. My client shouldn't have to still be paying me to fight something, and, and we keep getting these results, whether it's from the North Dakota Supreme Court telling us we're right, the state legislature telling us we're right, and now the district court in Williston telling us we're right. You know, the Bismarck Tribune read an editorial last week, and I hope listeners go and, and take a look at that Bismarck Tribune editorial where even the editorial board at the Bismarck Tribune says enough is enough, state of North Dakota. Let these people get on with their lives. And there's there's literally been, and it breaks my heart, Jason, it really does, because I'm, you know, my great-great-grandparents came over here. We've got land that's been in our family since the turn of the, you know, the 1900s, a long time, over 100-plus years. I understand what that means to families and for, for families' legacies and history and heritage. So I, I relate to my clients very, very closely on that. And there's been several of them that have died. Several of my clients have died during this litigation where they should have been enjoying those the, the proceeds from those mineral rights. They should have been enjoying those. And whether that's, you know, taking the family on a vacation buying a new truck, you know, investing in a lake place, or just, you know, retiring outside of Bismarck and, and playing golf or spoil, spoiling your grandkids, you know, how, however they wanted to spend the proceeds from those royalties, they should have been able to do that, and they weren't. And that's, you know, if, if, I, sound, if I sound upset and frustrated and mad as hell at uh, the state of North Dakota for what they've done, that's why, because you've had people who in the golden years of their lives, when they should have been enjoying something that their grandparents and great-grandparents and mom and dad left to them, the state of North Dakota deprived them of that opportunity, and they will never get that opportunity back. And the folks at the state of North Dakota that made that decision ought to be ashamed of themselves for that. What I don't understand is, was there ever any issue paying royalties before the state stepped in? None. None at all. None at all. And in fact, that's one of the things the North Dakota Supreme Court back in September of 2017 recognized in their decision ruling in my client's favor is that for 50 plus years, my clients, like a lot of the other mineral owners out there listening to this, they had entered into leases with companies, had been paid bonuses, had been paid royalties, had leased those, that, uh, leased those minerals out. And there was never an issue. And it wasn't until someone from the state had this hair
harebrained scheme that, well, geez, since the Fed flooded it, that somehow gives the state ownership of the minerals. And I mean, you don't you don't have to be a constitutional Fifth Amendment scholar to say, geez, there, there's something that doesn't sound right with that. I mean, just think think of the implications on on the eastern side of the state with the FM diversion project. If the state's argument in my case is right, what that means is that the state can come in and just take all this farmland in the Red River Valley and not have to pay a dime for it because they're taking it for flood control purposes. And that's that's exactly what the state of North Dakota argued in the in the Wilkinson case. And it makes zero sense. It's not the law. There's no basis for it under the law. But yet that's the world we've been living in for the better part of the last decade. This seems like it's created some issue between the private oil companies and the local communities, uh, the state has created some issue then because if there wasn't problems before, and I, I, I personally know how hard oil and gas companies try to connect with the local communities, but the energy companies, they're, they're not commenting on these, these stories. And, and they're not, you know what I mean? They're, they're not quick to, to talk about this actual issue involving the local community. To me, it, it just seems like the state has really mucked this up. And it's because, it's, you know, the, the energy companies spend a lot of money trying not to be called the bad guy. And I think this is a really good example of how the state has really positioned. Uh, is it Statoil now? Is that who it is? That it was, um, it was Brigham originally, but then through some changes and everything, is it, is it now Statoil at the end of the day that we're talking about? Equinor now, Equinor, Equinor and EOG are the two, <laughs> yeah, and, EOG are the two. And, I, and you know, Jason, I, I don't want to make the operators sound to be the bad guy here, because I, I understand, and I, I deal with oil companies and their attorneys every day, and I have what I think are really good relationships with them, and I can understand their frustration about the absolute mess the state has made of this, because it's put them in an untenable situation where they've got all these private leases, then the state claims ownership. So, I mean, you know, in a lot of cases, you, you take multiple leases, but in this situation, there's no title dispute. It wasn't something that was pointed out where, you know, let's say a continental of the world does a title opinion and says, well, there could be multiple owners because, you know, grandpa had this will, but there's these kids, so there's a title question and we need to do a probate. It wasn't anything like that. It was a state of North Dakota, a government, the state government saying, well, we think we own these, so you better lease from us because we're going to put them up on the, the state, uh, the land board auction site. So it really put the, the oil and gas operators in an untenable position where for years they've had these private leases and, and they've been leasing from the private mineral owners whose interests were underneath Lake Sakakawea. And then the state of North Dakota comes in and just really screws it up and throws a giant monkey wrench into it, creating creating what should have been one avoidable totally unavoidable the state the state just went ahead and said to hell with everybody we're going to claim it let's let the chips fall where they may and somebody somebody from the state needs to be held accountable for that they ought to do an audit and figure out who in the state of north dakota came up with this idea that the state owned all of these private minerals and there should be some accountability there um but on top of that they created a mess for everybody because now you're gonna have to have to sort through and make sure that correct people get paid, which is going to create a lot of work for people, whether it's at a Statoil or, excuse me, an Equinor, a Continental, an EOG, whoever, 
that's going to be a process in and of itself. And I would expect there's going to be more litigation that's going to flow from that. And, and the party responsible for creating all this litigation is the state of North Dakota. And so the, the state of North Dakota now has a decision at their land board meeting that they want to cut their losses. I mean, I shouldn't even say cut their losses. That's not the right term. They, they never had a claim to begin with. They've made a cornucopia of bad decisions one after another. And at a certain point, you got to stop digging and say, you know what? We were wrong. We screwed this up instead of doubling down and tripling down and going all in like the state keeps on doing. Sooner rather than later, they got to say, hey, what can we do to make this right? What can we do to fix this instead of continuing to exacerbate the problem? So that, that's why if there's anyone from the – and we've tried. We, and I've, I've said this you know, to you before, Jason. We've reached out to the state of North Dakota to, to try to have productive – conversations on this and every time they've told us to go pound sand they're not interested in having any sort of conversations with us and and ultimately that's how things like this end up in litigation and end up having over 550 filings with the district court and have all these attorneys involved so if there's anyone from the land board out there listening i would encourage them to do the right thing you know pay attention to what's in that editorial from the bismarck tribune do the right thing and let these private mineral owners move on with their lives instead of having to keep paying money for private attorneys for the state to keep fighting a losing battle. Has the governor got involved yet? Governor Doug Burgum? We, we haven't heard anything from him. He's, you know, obviously on the land board as, as is the attorney general. And it's a situation where I don't know who's taking the lead on it, who's driving the car, but I, I would hope that at Thursday's meeting, the governor would say, hey, enough is enough. You know, let's let these folks move on with their lives. We as a state argued it. We lost. You know, sometimes you have to take your lumps. Court says you're wrong. You know, and, and, and that's, that's the world I live in as a private attorney. We have a lot of wins, which are great, and we take a lot of pride in that. But, you know, sometimes you lose a case, and when the court disagrees with you, you respect the court's decision. If you decide you want to appeal, you do. Sometimes you're vindicated on it. Sometimes the court says you're wrong and you act like a grown-up. You say, hey, I disagree, but I respect the result and I'll abide by the court's decision. That's part part of being a professional and ethical attorney. Um, so I, I, I would hope this Thursday the governor says, okay, guys, enough's enough. But, you know, he's he's only one of five on that board. So it's, it's up to the land board in total, and, and hopefully the three or four voices on there of common sense can prevail. How about cost for the state, legal fees, uh, potential for interest on money that hasn't been paid, money that hasn't been paid? Have they promised uh, Equinor a different price than what Equinor has been paying? I mean, is there that, – that, that just seems like this thing stinks to high heaven here. So um, yeah. where, where, what, what parts of the monies have they been transparent on, I guess? Really, you know, and I I want to be careful because, by and large, my client's bone to pick is is with the state of North Dakota, and if they decide not to appeal it, and and this is still in litigation, so I I don't want to go too deep into what the strategy would be or what the arguments would be in the event this comes up on appeal, but that's one of the questions that needs to be answered is between costs and fees, and there's, there's an argument that uh, there's actually case law and statute that says if the state of North Dakota engages 
in any sort of taking against a private individual that they're liable for that individual's attorney's fees. And then there's, of course, the North Dakota statute, um, I think it's 4716.1-39 of the Century Code, that says any royalties on production more than 150 days old that haven't been paid, any production past 150 days, you tack on an 18% interest, which, you know, doing the math, talking all these acres and years and years and years where folks haven't been getting paid, that's a pretty big bill as far as the interest that would be due. So those those are some issues that are floating out there that, that'll have to be resolved. And it all goes back to the state just making such a mess of this uh, from the jump street. And, and, you know, in fairness, this thing goes back to 2012. And I know there's some members of the land board that weren't on there in 2012. So they, and the land commissioner as well, I, I will say the current land commissioner, by and large, in my experiences with her, She's been good to work with, but, uh, you know, she inherited this mess, too. It's something that when she took the job, she walked into this storm head on. So um, that's a question that's going to have to be sorted out. And the the first part of that is whether or not the state wants to decide to appeal this. And now if if the state accepts the district court's decision, I think there's some room to have reasonable conversations with the state and the operators to get these folks paid and for everyone else to, to move on with their lives. But if the state decides they're going to appeal it and contest it, then, you know, they, they might have other issues to face as far as attorneys, fees, costs, etc. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that already is somewhere in some account waiting to be paid out that have already been been rang up, so to speak. Then you've got millions of dollars, I would imagine, in un, you know, speculative stuff, depending on how this all shakes out when it's all said and done. And we're talking hundreds of acres here, aren't we? Yeah. There's, there, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of acres okay. that are tied up here. The exact, the exact number... The exact number... Hundreds of, of thousands acres. is just fine. Hundreds it, of... Cause, it, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, because my, 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 my next question was saying, okay, so you got hundreds of millions of dollars that need to be paid out. You got millions, if not tens of millions of dollars that are going to be paid out. And then you've got uh, all this acreage. But I'm looking at it as... It seems to me that this is a little bit more symbolic and a little bit more of a present-setting event that could happen here when this is all said and done. Are, are, are you experiencing that feeling as well? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of unanswered. I think there's the potential for a lot of litigation. And, and I don't say that with any smile on my face, even as an attorney. Um, I think at the end of the day, mineral owners and the oil company, they, they want the same thing. They want to figure out the ownership and the payment, get it resolved, get these folks under new leases so they can get paid. So from that perspective, as someone who operate or represents primarily mineral owners and royalty owners, we're on the same page as operators on that because I think they have the shared interest of making sure they're paying the right people and paying them the right thing. The problem that we now have is that the state has prolonged this so long where you've got 10 years almost of production that folks are going to have to figure out, checks that are going to have to get written. And and on top of that, mineral owners are frustrated at this. Mineral owners 
are mad, and, and I would be too. I mean, you can't blame them. They've, it's their mineral acres. They should have been getting paid on it. They haven't been getting paid on it for the last, you know, whether it's seven years, eight years, nine years, ten years, whatever. So you're going over a pretty significant chunk of time not getting payment because of what the state's doing. So there's a lot of folks out there that um, want, want some resolution, and they want, they want accountability. They want accountability to make sure this doesn't happen again. So what will happen going forward, you know, my primary concern is my clients on this, and I, and I represent several individuals. I want to make sure they're made whole. I want to be sure they're taken care of. But I can tell you, you know, I get calls every day with folks wanting to talk about it, folks that are impacted. And hopefully starting after this Thursday, we can we can start moving forward um, and get some resolution for everybody. Well, th- this is real damage. I mean, you're talking about if somebody's kid graduated in 2012, that royalty money, they could be a doctor and a, uh, or, or a lawyer graduating from UND this, this spring. You know, um, yeah. that, that's, that, that's what we're talking. Be, and, and not have student loans. They could have used that royalty money to pay for their kids' seven-year doctorate education. And that's what I'm saying. That's, what, that's the significance of the state holding back empowerment through money that's through or you know whatever going on an alaskan cruise once a month whatever it is it doesn't matter i'm just saying that you know i'm trying to i'm just trying to point out the empowerment side of thing things you know um anyway. investing it you know these folks could have been investing it they could have been starting their own businesses i mean there's there's a lot of folks in north dakota that really have an entrepreneurial mindset and they could have been taking this money and investing it back into different parts of the state there's a lot of things they could have been doing with it, and it's a lot of money, and, and and that's you know that's part of the opportunity cost that's been lost here as well. Yeah, and, and that's the stuff that's really hard to put a price on. That's why I'm saying this is real damage here. You know, this isn't you, you go break a window and say, okay, here's 200 bucks for the window. No, this is opportunity cost. This is empowerment. This is education. This is you know, I mean, we're talking seven years is like a generation. <laughs> you know, I yep. mean, it's like I said, there's, there's enough time in there for someone to go get a doctorate degree and go start a whole new family for crying out loud. So um, that's that, that that is ridiculous. I do think um, I could see where it, it is time for some of these leaders to either make, take a stand and say enough's enough on this because you're dragging on for seven years. That's costing the state too much money or it's costing the people too much money. Or the you know the, the 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 your clients because this is this is dragging on way too long for something that just was kind of invented because there was a hundred dollar oil going on and a lot of uh, people were thinking that oil was going to pay for stuff for the next thirty years. I I was there. I w- I was covering it, so I I was part of those meetings. I saw it with my own eyes. There was a lot of that, and I do believe there is a hint of that involved here and. Um, Anyway, so this is all good news for, for you and your clients in terms of the, the latest ruling. Now there's uh, the next is to wait if to see if there's an appeal. That's, that's the next step, I guess? That's the next step, yep. They've got 60 days from well, I think the judgment. The judgment itself, notice the judgment, was served on Monday, September 16th. So they have until you know, right around November 15th to file their notice of appeal. The land board, the state, what they've said so far when asked, 
is that the land board is meeting on Thursday, September 26th, and they'll have more guidance or maybe even an answer by then. I would expect if they're going to appeal, it'd be better to do it sooner rather than later. Why wait? If the state does does decide they're going to appeal, it's a pretty, it's a situation where the appeal itself is not complicated. You know, for starters, I don't think the state would have, there's, there's not any strong grounds or any grounds, frankly, for the state to appeal at that. Now, that's their decision. Their attorneys will have to say, here's what we're going to appeal and why. I think any appeal would be a loser, for one. But the decision itself to appeal, there's no justifiable reason where if the state does decide to appeal, they wait until November 13th to file it and just, you know, put more misery and more uncertainty with folks. If they're going to appeal it, appeal it now, file your notice of appeal, let's get it up to the Supreme Court, let's let the Supreme Court decide it. But the the actual issues are not complex, they're not novel, it's not a situation where it would be the most complicated appeal um, in the history of the Supreme Court. It's a pretty narrow and distinct issue. So uh, I'm hoping by this Thursday at that land board meeting, there will be direction from the land board to the attorney general's office and to the land board saying, we're not appealing this. We're deciding that this is it. We're going to respect the district court decision, and that'll be that. But, you know, we'll see. Is that money currently being used or tied up? Do you know? Just just sitting there. Okay. Sitting it's not there. it's not like tied to the, you know, teacher's retirement fund or some general education thing or some general fund thing or something like that. It is just sitting no, there. No, okay. nope, it's not. They can't, they can't allocate it anywhere. They can't spend it and they can't allocate it. It's just, just sitting there waiting for a resolution of this case. So some politician was playing risk one night and got the great idea that, you know, I think they flooded those lands over there. We could grab that too. Boy, I tell you, put away the risk and get the game of life out, I guess. But um, let's talk a little bit about some football to find out what's going on with your podcast. For those folks out there who want to talk to Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, about some mineral rights, they can certainly do that. Um, You represent not only the Baca, but you represent pretty much, uh, which states do you represent? As, as far as mineral rights, run that, oh yeah, I've got I've got mineral owners in, in states all across the, uh, this great country of ours. So you know, Cal, in, in this case, you know, I'm monitoring the, the court proceedings for other clients in states, you know, Colorado, okay. California, Carol, the Carolinas. So you know, see the shining sea. I've got clients with interests up here. Okay, all right, that's. I uh, want to give you a little plug for that because, you know, that's kind of your day job. But but for a hobby or for a moonlighting job, you also uh, are a multimedia personality. You've got a podcast and you've got a radio show and you also write for uh, magazines. And it's uh, the NDSU Buys an Illustrated podcast. Are you still on the radio with that or is that um, what's... Nope, I, I'm still, I still have got a, you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, my wife always gives me a tough time because I keep on taking on more responsibilities. And, and like you, I'm just really passionate about and fascinated by different forms of media and platforms and content. So we still have the Bison Illustrated podcast. I'm, I'm doing the live Saturday football pregame show on 740 The Fan, which is the, you know under the 
KFGO umbrella, and they're the biggest sports talker in the region here. So I've got the football pregame show Saturday morning. Then I started doing a second podcast for the fan called the uh, the Thundering Herdcast. So I've got the two football podcasts, and I'm still doing the the writing for the Buys and Illustrated and the live show. So I I've got a few folks out there they uh, that are so locked into Buys and football they kind of chuckle when. I start talking law stuff, but no, I, I have a really good time doing both. So you are doing that. So, so you do add another podcast, and and there's boy, that's how much demand there is really for the bison. In fact, uh, for a lot of listeners out there who might not know this, NDSU just played their uh, home home opener at Target Field, didn't they, down in Minneapolis? Yeah, in August, uh, the bison. We went down to Target Field, played Butler. Packed that stadium with uh, about 36,000 people. Really cool to see all those Bison fans. This team has such a passionate fan base and, and fans all over North Dakota from, you know, Divide County and Williston and Scranton all the way to Pembina, Wapiton, Fargo, and everywhere in between. You know, traveling the state, you see folks wearing Bison stuff. So a lot, a lot of Bison fans in Minneapolis had our opener down there, had a really good time, great fan turnout. And that's something about by the nation as they they follow this team all over the place and to get 36,000 fans at a major league baseball stadium for a college football game was pretty impressive i'd never heard of a football game at target field which is minnesota twins and i had never heard of a college traveling to a different state and just you know the closest big city to go play a game i was that discussed while you were down there the fact that was there other i don't know does any of the local high school teams play at target field or was football ever played there before and then has is it normal for colleges to do that i you know i follow college sports and i generally haven't seen that it's it's a it's an exception to the rule. It was it was only the second football game. You know, Target Field opened in 2010. The only other football game played there. They did kind of a trial run last year where St. John's and boy, I think it was St. John's and St. Thomas played at Target Field. Other than that, this was the only football game that's been played there. And and you know you talk about hosting games at baseball stadiums. Occasionally, Wrigley Field or, or Fenway Yankee Stadium has the Pinstripes Bowl every year, but it's it's something where you're talking, you know, the Alabamas and the the Clemsons and Floridas and Georgias of the world playing big time games. Or Notre, you know, Notre Dame has a big base of alums in Chicago and fans there, so they've done a game at Wrigley, and I think Boston College has done a game at Fenway Park, but it's. Definitely the exception to the rule and doesn't happen a lot in college football. And to see North Dakota State be able to do that uh, as a Bison fan as, and as a, just a, someone born and raised in North Dakota, it, it was something to, to take a, a lot of pride in just to see the folks from around here really rally around this team and program. Yeah, that, that's quite a quite a number of uh, people down there. Now, of course, I would imagine NDSU looked at that as kind of a trial run to see if you know they could get a bigger stadium in uh in in Fargo my guess would be because you know seven championships in in eight years the conversation about moving to the next level i'm sure has been in, been pretty popular in many meetings over the last seven years you know but the reality of the situation is uh what does a Fargo dome hold 20,000 17 something like that 
just just a hair for football, just a hair under twenty thousand. Yeah. So if you with standing with standing room only, you know, we've been in nineteen thousand for a bunch of games, typically right around that eighteen thousand eight hundred as a sellout. So yeah, just shy of twenty thousand. Yeah, and so to to kind of go to that next step, that's generally what ends the conversation is that well you need to get you know 30 40 50 60 70 100,000 people but generally from what I've heard around that 30,000 um, you know seat capacity type of a thing and, and it sounds to me like you know at least out in Minneapolis the, the Bison had a pretty good showing then huh because I didn't see too many Butler fans there yeah there I, I would guess there was probably you know a hundred Butler fans uh, the parents and the school itself got a, a you know half a section and I don't know that they even used that and they were actually right behind uh, the Butler bench so it'd be third baseline at Target Field there's only uh, probably a couple dozen of them other than that it was 36,000 Bison fans and the one you know it's an interesting conversation to have for, for North Dakota State and the athletic department and the university and, and the booster group key makers is uh, can you get more seats in the Fargo Dome what do you have to do with that should we be talking about a new stadium? And there's there's very few schools that are having that discussion with attendance issues in college football, attendance being down generally across the board. NDSU is one of the very few programs where they're selling out the stadium every weekend, where there's a demand and a waiting list for season tickets. So I think you know it's something that is on NDSU's radar. Um, it'll be real interesting to see in the next five, ten years what sort of long-term plans come out as, as far as the dome, what can be done, a new stadium, things like that. I know Bison fans are talking about it, and the, and the support, the support is there. So, it's you know, it's a great, I even hesitate to call it the problem and say it's a great problem to have, but there's there aren't many schools, as far as the football perspective, that are having discussions like NDSU's have and saying, we don't have enough room to fit all of our fans, we need a bigger venue. Oh no, it's it's happening. It's it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's it's happening. I mean, the the Bakken is hiring uh, fifteen to thirty thousand jobs, depending on who you're talking about. So, you know, you, you're talking about the the oil and gas industry is basically percolated fifteen to thirty thousand jobs that need to be hired immediately. Well, these jobs do need some training and some education. Well, you look at NDSU's attendance, it's, it's gone considerably up over the past 10 years, and it's continuing to go up. So as NDSU continues and the Bakken continues to do what it's doing, it's a feeder program. I mean, Grand Forks and Fargo, I mean, that's, that's where you have, uh, well, up in Grand Forks is where you got the Harold Hamm Library and the, and the, and the uh, EERC, the Energy and Environmental Research Center. And, of course, NDSU is where they're building all the precision agriculture software, which is just being reformatted into energy software. So it's the East is very important. And so, you know, tying it back into football, I could easily see how NDSU could, could make the argument to say, you know what, guys, I understand this is a football conversation here but we're ready to go to that next step we're one of the few colleges in the nation that actually can have this conversation and like i'm saying it's not a problem it's an actual conversation because 
trust me, whether whether it was done in, done intentionally or not to go to Target Field, that was a test run to see if they could sell 30, 35,000 tickets to maybe see if, you know, 25,000 will go to a game regularly or something like that. I mean, there, it's, it's a gamble to go to that next level. You, you, you got to do it in a very methodical approach and from a 5,000 foot view and based on what the Bakken is doing and based on what a lot of the uh, UAS industry, what Senator Hoven, John Hoven and uh, uh, Senator Kramer have done for the UAS industry up in Grand Forks to feed them that uh, additional uh, economic development. I, I just see NDSU being able to do that. All right. Now that I've had my soapbox moment about my alumni school, what do you make of that conversation for going to the next step there, tying in the Bakken like I did? You see how good I am? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, nice segue, but I know it's all, it's all related, and I think when you take a look at the economies in the state of North Dakota, whether it's energy or ag or health care and the different infrastructures in place, North Dakota is certainly on the, the leading edge and cutting edge of a lot of things that, you know, moving into a 21st century economy, North Dakota has the potential to be a leader. And, and where does that start? Well, it starts with our different institutions of higher education with, with North Dakota State and the University of North Dakota at the top of that list. So there's a, a lot of opportunities for, for both institutions to, to take advantage of. And, and my mindset on all of it, whether it's uh, on the athletic side with, with NDSU football, and, and even, you know, I'm a, a passionate NDSU advocate. My undergrad is from North Dakota State. I've got a couple of degrees there. Um, being a bison means a lot to me. It's the university as a whole. NDSU is an institution, and, and even UND and Grand Forks, you know, I, when I look at the peer schools, I don't, I don't think of the, the Missouri states of the world or the University of South Dakota's, uh, uh, with all respect, or the Northern Iowa's, with all respect toward those schools because they, you know, they do different things well in their own right. You know, I think North Dakota, North Dakota higher education should strive to, to be on that same level as, as a Kansas state or a Clemson, different, you know, with NDSU being a land grant. I think we need to be aggressive. I think we need to, to grow them both, and, and I think the opportunities for our graduates as far as a workforce and employment opportunities, I think they're there in spades, and part of the reason I say that, like you, Jason, you know, sometimes if you're, if you're living and working in Fargo, you're not seeing what's going on in Minot or, or Devil's Lake or you know, in, the, in the Bakken and Stanley and Williston and, and up in Divide County. And vice versa, if, if you're in it with, you know, I love this state and I don't mean to impugn anybody, but if you're just, you know, going to work in Williston every day and not getting out to the eastern side of the state, I, I think my perspective being someone who on a weekly basis is traveling around practicing law, law all over the state, I see the bigger picture. I see how it all relates. I see the employment opportunities and economic things going on in western North Dakota and the Bakken that are very, very exciting. And on the eastern side of the state with agriculture, I see the different things we're doing here. I see the tech side in Fargo. I see the exciting things that, that Stanford's doing. And I think as an, an integrated overall economy, I get really excited about it because I think there are a lot of opportunities for our state and, and for our workforce and for young people to come here and receive an education at NDSU and UND and then walk into really, really good jobs. And you hear... You, know, you hear all the time, I get a little frustrated when I hear different political debates about student debt and paying down the debt. Well, from my perspective, you know, I went to law school 
work my butt off, incurred a bunch of debt, graduated at the top of my class, so I would be able to get a good job. And taking some ownership and responsibility for that and then putting myself in a position here at Vogel. But if you're coming up to NDSU or UND, let's say you're a petroleum engineer student up at UND, you can go and name your price out in Western North Dakota. Let's say you're an engineer at North Dakota State or a pharmacist. You, or say you're working in the, the UAS field and you're doing stuff with the drones, whether it's energy or agriculture or tech, you can go and name your price and have your pick of jobs in Western North Dakota or anywhere in North Dakota. You're not having to send out you know, 300 resumes and worrying about finding an apartment that costs less than $2,000 a month in a Minneapolis or a Denver or a New York City. You can live in a great place like North Dakota. You can have a really great job. You can have a tremendous education system. So there's so many opportunities out there, and you're right, it all it all ties together. It absolutely all ties together. And I think the, the fun discussion for me is being someone who has you know, seen it on the ground floor level at North Dakota State. I think things like discussing the, the future of the athletic department, I've always been a proponent. You know, athletics is the front door of a university, right or wrong. That's what the people are seeing. They're seeing 30,000 at Target Field. They're seeing UND success in hockey and the Frozen Fours and, and everything else. So those programs are ambassadors for our state, and I think we should be aggressive in growing those and pushing those and promoting those. And I think there are the resources there to do it. So I'll uh, I'll step down off my soapbox. But when you start when you start preaching that message to the congregation, you got this guy standing up and saying, "Amen, brother." Uh, I'll give you a show topic to do on your um, Bison. NDSU Bison Illustrated podcast or Thundercast or whichever one you're doing. We did this back when they beat, I want to say the Gophers the first time, the Minnesota Gophers. And there was a substantial spike in enrollment like the next week after the North Dakota State football team beat the University of Minnesota's football team. Like, I want to say, I I can't remember the number. It was like 10% or 1,000 people or something. It was just a substantial. And it was mostly for Minneapolis people, the the big city, you know. So that'd be you should have the uh, admissions people on sometime to talk about some of those spikes like that in correlation with the football team because it is it's the front door whether people like it or not. In some cases, like Duke, they decided to go the basketball route, but they went sports. I mean, outside of Duke, you you ask anybody, there ain't anybody that understands Duke's one of the top. Uh, brainiac schools in the country. Everybody's going to say, "Oh yeah, they're a, basket- they're a basketball school." Oh, okay. I'm sure all those private kids say, paying a hundred grand a year would like to know that. And you could say the same thing about Notre Dame. Before they were this football powerhouse, they were kind of some backwater institution that nobody had heard about in South Bend, Indiana. And then they decided that they wanted to be good at football in the early 1900s and. Con- Newt Rockney comes, you know, the four horsemen, and they pick up some steam. Notre Dame is what it is. There's a very strong argument and correlation because if you look at Notre Dame and what they were and what their institutional profile was before their football team football team became what it was, there's an absolute correlation there. And you, you, you hear it, and, I, and being a guy, you know, when I travel across the country from work, I'm, I'm usually wearing a Vogel Law a pullover or a North Dakota State pullover and whenever I'm wearing my buys and stuff in an airport people are asking me about the football team people are asking me about the, the men's basketball team and coach Richmond getting into the NCAA tournament regularly 
and taking on a team like Duke and, and playing very well and acquitting themselves very, very well on that stage. So it's something that, that it's such a positive story for North Dakota. And, and it does, that, that exposure is only helpful. And, and to folks out there listening saying, well, you know, Josh and Jason, you're making too big of a deal. It's just sports. It's just athletics. How is it bad? There, there's no there's no lose situation there. There's no downside. It's only an upside. If, if these programs are doing well and they're successful, you can't. They, they've done studies trying to show the economic impact from when when Carson Wentz gets drafted number two. Look look at that story and how much positive publicity and exposure that that young man has generated for our state because he played football at North Dakota State and he's from Bismarck, North Dakota. There's no downside to that. There's, that's, an, that's an investment that's only going to pay off and have such a tremendous multiplier effect. I'm telling you, if, if you make a couple calls to the ticket people in the athletic department, they'll know what, what I'm talking about because those, those victories and then the following admissions uh, to the university, there's a correlation there. And it's it's substantial to where, especially at NDSU, because they they their football program and their admission just skyrocketed together at such a such a uh, I don't know comparative rate. I guess would probably be the right way to phrase it. Uh, anyway, we better uh, wrap up here. I'm just looking at the time. Wilkinson's versus the state of North Dakota Land Board and Schools Trust. I don't have my notes in front of me, so I, I'm just throwing out the as many of the the state's defense people or whatever we can throw out there. Um, kind of just a quick, brief summary of where we're at and give yourself a, a nice uh, plug in case anybody who has any sort of mineral questions or anything like that because, uh, man, you're taking on the state and been doing it for a number of different years, and, and, and you got the recent victory. So uh, just kind of the, the quick su- summary of where we're at and then how people can get in touch with you. Sure, and, and you know, Jason, just thanks to you, I always enjoy coming on and, and visiting with you about a whole range of, of topics, and I hope your listeners appreciate the fact the content you're delivering them is something they can't get anywhere else, so I, I hope hope your listeners appreciate, appreciate it as much as I do, but folks can find me at vogellaw.com if they click on attorneys, it has my contact information, including my email and my phone number, which is 701-237-6983. At 701-237-6983 or check out Vogel Law, that's V-O-G-E-L-L-A-W.com. And with Wilkinson, we're um, excited about the decision we got a couple weeks ago from the district court in Williston. We're waiting to see if the, the state will decide to appeal that decision. So stay tuned on that. I think a lot of things will start happening once that decision is made. And if folks out there have mineral interests or if you're negotiating a you know a right away an easement surface agreement that's something that i'm handling every day too and, and i can tell you talking about industry you know i'm dealing with one oak and bridger and, and all those guys and, and they're they're good folks to deal with and, and i know we're on opposite sides of the document negotiating but you know i respect the work they're doing and they do they do try hard you know a lot of them they're they're working hard make sure they're doing right by the communities in this state and by different landowners impacted and, and that fact isn't lost on me and I just told someone from One Oak that the other day I said you know dealing with them is usually pretty easy because there's not a lot of fighting back or forth we tend to figure things out and that's I think that's one of the things that that I offer to folks out there with mineral interests is I'm not 
I'm not looking to, to, you know, make the oil companies the bad guy because I appreciate what they're doing for the state. Um, I'm representing mineral owners, trying to get them the best result and working in, you know, I, I think there's a lot of cooperation there is something I bring to the table in dealing with the operators. And I think we've had good results from our clients doing that. And if folks are in the market from an attorney that will get them results, they're more than welcome to give me a call.